All right, David, Bankless subscribers, this is the debrief. The reason you're getting this is because you're a Bankless subscriber. Thank you. We just talked about what we're going to call this episode. And David, you think it should be the bull case for DeFi round two? Because that's what it was. I mean, it feels like the number two, it feels like the time for number two in the world of DeFi right now, um, because yeah. we already had one year of like really awesome, robust DeFi activity. Chapter now one. Now we're on chapter one. Now we're about, it feels like we're about to do it again on layer, layer two. two. <laughs> layer two. It's Free, new sec- real estate. New real estate. real estate out there. Okay. Se- second time that we've brought Vance Spencer back on to get a second chapter update as to what DeFi is about to do and what's what it's currently doing. So yeah, the number two is relevant here. So bull case for DeFi round two. Here we go. That's hilarious. Okay. So guys, um, you know, uh, B- Vance was actually recording from Bitcoin Miami, which David, mm-hmm. you're attending soon too. Yep. And what mm-hmm. cracks me up about the Bitcoin Miami conference, which is um, I guess like by the time listeners uh, hear this kind of started over the weekend, I'm not sure how it lasts, but is I'm not sure anybody's going to the actual like that I know going to the actual right. Bitcoin conference event, but mm-hmm. it seems to be a crypto like shelling point. I don't That's know if everyone's point. been in like COVID Corona for too long. And this mm-hmm. is like the first actual live IRL conference happening. So everybody's going to Miami, right? Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. Like I have a ticket to bi- the Bitcoin conference, but like also they, they, the Bitcoin conference said in like some email saying like, please keep conversations focused on Bitcoin. This is a Bitcoin only conference. Wait, wait, and like, wait, even the- like, not, we're not talking about speakers. You're talking yes, about attendees. We are not talking about, we are talking about attendees. They requested the attendees to keep things focused on Bitcoin as attendees. And so like, to some degree, I'm like, well, I, there's the B- Bitcoiners on the inside doing the, talking about how they all have Bitcoin and maybe some Lightning Network talk. And then there's everyone else on the outside who's literally just going to party and it's going to be all the <laughs> Ethereum token people. Where do you want to be? Do you want to be with the Ethereum token people or do you want to be with the Bitcoin and the Bitcoin conference? I want to be with the Ethereum token people. Like the, the tokens went up more than I know Bitcoin my answer, did. But it's I heard be this a better vibe, dude. I heard this conference is like like forty thousand people, maybe. I, is I that right? The numbers, or... the numbers I heard are eight thousand people going to oh. the conference, but thirty thousand okay. people are going to Miami. <laughs> These are oh, the rough that's numbers funny. that I've heard. Yeah, that's all funny. Airbnbs are are gone. All hotels are sold out. Like nothing's left. All right. Oh, okay. So, sorry, guys. We, we had to talk about the conference because that's where Vance was. So apologies right. for the, the sound quality. But let's talk about that episode. Mm-hmm. What did you learn? What were some of the things that surprised you about that episode, David? Yeah, I think really the takeaway was that when we first did our first podcast with Vance, he was very convicted that, uh, well, we were, we were actually just coming out of the, the heat of DeFi summer. Uh, this was, we recorded in August of 2020. We're uh, still Vance- in the heat. You know, like Wi-Fi had kind of recently yeah, launched mm-hmm, and still felt mm-hmm. really warm. Yes, very much so. Um, and Vance was still convicted about like DeFi is going through this immense like maturity phase. Uh, and what we were about to see is about to, you know, break everyone's brains. Uh, and then we saw it happen more or, more or less. We recorded with him at $8 billion TVL and DeFi. And then it's we're at 88 at, at our recent peak. Uh, and, and my takeaway from this episode is like Vance kind of has got, he's got the same attitude. 
Like yeah, he's got different talking, po- different talking points, different things to talk about. Same sort of attitude as like, yo, we are still growing, going through this maturity phase. And like, we're still at the beginning of it. Like it's nine months later, a lot of maturity has happened, but like, oh, in the grand scheme of things, like it's still so much more ahead of us. There's more roadway ahead of us than there is behind us. He may have convinced me a bit more about the super cycle thesis right? Which mm-hmm. again, if you're not familiar with it, um, like Suzu and the three hours capital guys, they, they seem to be believers that we're not going to have an immense drawdown, like a four, four year cycle boom bust thing in crypto anymore that will just enter a period of like some assets in crypto go down, like some are bullish, some are bearish. Anyway, may have convinced me that, but here's the thing, David, I don't think that will happen until ETH flippins Bitcoin. Because until that happens, I still feel like Bitcoin is kind of setting the cycle, setting the cadence and is king. Mm -hmm. And so unless that happens in a big way, and I don't just mean like flipping it for a small period of time. I mean like a sustained, I am like, I'm in charge now. Yep. Level of flipping. I control the dynamic. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm the captain now. Me. Um, (laughs) It'll take that to happen for us to get out of this cycle. It's kind of what I think, but again, no one knows how this plays out. It, it does seem like he thinks, me believes more in the super cycle, more in like the mainstreamization of this thing, this cycle, and that we're not going to have these boom bust things. I know you kind of believe that too, don't you? Yeah, I do think it's really a really important conversation to be had about like, because we've had in the world of crypto since Bitcoin's been around 12 years, it's had it's now in its fourth boom cycle, right? For, uh, you know, or no, third, third boom cycle. Uh, every four years, three times four is 12. That's, at, oh, wait. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and yeah. to some degree, like- four is 12, yes. Yeah, and I'm not, we're, you, bankless listeners don't come for the math. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and to some degree, there's a, the, the thought that that is determined by Bitcoin's happening cycles. Uh, and there's kind of the evidence to back that up. Yep. Uh, and there's nothing more uh, bullish about, you know, more sustainable and less boom, boom, bust cycles than going from a four year happening cycle to a 12 second block buyback and burn model, right? Like all of a sudden everything gets smoothed out. And, and but that is of course, under the prerequisite that ether does in, in eventually flip in Bitcoin. Right. Uh, and I, I'm, if I do end up going to the conference, I'm going to, I'll let you know how this line lands, but like, I totally agree with Vance. The most bullish thing for Bitcoin is to get flipped by ether. <laughs> like, you can't talk be- about that in the <laughs> conference. You will get kicked out, sir. It, that's a, that's a Bitcoin subject. That's a Bitcoin related subject. It's good for Bitcoin. You think anyone's going for, to be it, excited about Bitcoin. that? It's good for Bitcoin. If Bitcoin will go up in value faster if Ether flippens it, that's what I think Vance's take was. And like, oh my I'm god, imagine you like, I'm hopping right on board. The this is good for Bitcoin meme has been sort of a staple among Bitcoiners. <laughs> like, right. imagine if you said the the flipping is good for Bitcoin. Flipping is good for Bitcoin. <laughs> oh my, wow. All right, well, so like, um, you you know, another thing that's opened my mind too is like hyper bullish. I've been hyper like. I've been hyper bullish Bitcoin, obviously, hyper bullish uh, ETH, hyper bullish DeFi. Vance's fir- first episode was like more like, oh my God, I'm not bullish enough on DeFi. Do you know what lately I might be realizing, David, is I don't think previously I've been bullish enough on layer two. Hmm. Dude, like I might be turning into a hmm. layer, layer two, two maxi. Uh, layer two might be as big as like DeFi as a theme. Mm-hmm. 
like it might be that important. And a few things, maybe this is just happening in real time, happening this week. Part of this, this podcast was like part of it where we talked about layer two. Um, you're still laughing at some meme you got on the screen, don't you? No, I, I just tweeted out that the flippening is good for Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. We'll get some real time. Let's check at the end of the debrief how that's going, yeah. how that tweet's performing. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so like layer two um, bullish is is what I'm becoming. One thing with our conversation with Arbitrum earlier this week, okay? Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know why this hadn't dawned on me, but Arbitrum could create like 30 different roll-ups, 40, mm -hmm. 50, mm -hmm. 100 mm -hmm. different roll-ups, like soak in optimism, right? So like when I was thinking about roll-ups- You get a roll-up, you get a roll-up, you yeah, get a roll-up. Everybody gets roll-ups. And like Polygon has released their SDK. So we can also have infinite side chains. We get mm -hmm. infinite side chains. We get mm -hmm. infinite roll-ups. Mm -hmm. We now have tons of block space, mm -hmm. like tons of block space at our disposal. And mm -hmm. to, to Vance's point, that he made th this hasn't happened like linearly and gradually this is like boom and now we have suddenly new right. lands like right. it's like the louisiana purchase right like boom right. <laughs> you've got <laughs> all of this expanse in the u.s mm -hmm. now like mm -hmm. you can go live there right, right. so uh cr cr crazy to me i don't think i was bullish enough on layer two and, and this helps but like the, another thing that didn't occur to me, and this is why, to your point, it's cool that you can ask Vance about just about anything and he has like a relatively, like a really nuanced um, take on it, is he seems to think that the way a roll-up um, marshals MEV will be basically like, will be super important in the success mm -hmm. of that roll-up. And totally. I'm not quite sure how to think about that yet, but I think that intuition is right. Do, do you have any thoughts on that as we were talking to Vance? Yeah, and we've seen DeFi protocols and really uh, the crypto world at large really operate on like, how do we entice users? How do we reward users the most? How do we return, rather than extracting value out of users, like with the Web2 models, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, <clears throat> Instagram, we have these Web3 models, which is how can we entice and incentivize and reward users the most? And MEV is a thing. It's a part of the universe. It's something that we have to tussle with. Uh, and if we can figure out how to capture and redistribute it back towards users in some sort of credibly neutral way, that is awesome. That it falls in line with the values of crypto that we've seen play out through and through. And it's just a matter of just like, if you come and live in RL2, you have all of our MEV. And so you, you contribute to adding more MEV because you're living there. And you're also receiving it because you own part of the tokens of the land that you operate on. Yeah. You just have to make sure we get the token distribution correct. Okay, but here, here's the thing. We, that, that's what you said. We just have to make sure we get the token distribution correct. Like That's where it could all fall mm -hmm. down, couldn't it? Sure. Right. So like mm -hmm. um, Arbitrum's take, which when I heard their take this week, I was like pretty bullish on is like, no, we don't want to distribute MEV and sell it to people. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter who it is. We want to minimize it. We want to try right. to eliminate it mm -hmm. to the extent possible, right? Whereas optimism's take is, um, no, we want to capture that, tokenize it, and maybe mm -hmm. issue it to our users, right? Mm -hmm. But over time, mm -hmm. those users, the early users, they become sort of the the owners of the right. roll-up network, don't they? Do right. they become kind of right. the new class of MEV extractors? Landlords, right? Optimism Bankers, landlords. sir. Right. Mm -hmm. Bankers. Right. Um, and like...
maybe that's not like, maybe that's not ideal either. Maybe that's not a great thing, but yet if you are capturing this MEV and tokenizing it and giving it back to anybody that comes into your theme park and starts using your rides, right? You're going to get more people in your theme park because, Oh, I, I go on this ride. I I take this roller coaster Mm -hmm. and like, you're going to give me tokens for that. Yes, please. I'll mm-hmm. take some more. And these tokens are valuable because they are a right to cl- on, on some MEV claim. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll take that. So there's also a competitive dynamic in the tokens themselves. Mm-hmm. And if maybe if you're not capturing MEV and tokenizing and distributing it to your users, maybe you're at a competitive disadvantage. That's what yeah, I was thinking there, about. There's, there's a, a case to be made where if there's like the optimism token is the MEV capture token, over the long term, that might ruin its credible neutrality, even though at the yeah. beginning, it's a, it's a fun L2 yield farm. And maybe it's that way for like a year, five years, a decade. But maybe over the long term, it collapses into a, uh, a ruining of the credible neutrality just because somebody corners the market and somebody has just too much. And you know, if they have, if they have a decent supply, they can capture more of the supply faster than everyone else. Maybe that's the what uh, Arbitrum is worried against, and maybe in that world, then a version of an L2, a, a rollup that doesn't capture MEV is now the new credibly neutral land and territory. Um, but we have seen, like, if you can capture value and then re- redistribute it, it kind of sets off this flywheel yeah. of it's, it's a massive flywheel, and that is going to be really hard to upset. Uh, just Probably because. Need it. Yeah. Uh, and, and so both experiments completely worthy and, you know, maybe there's going to be trade-offs and pros and cons of both, and they're probably both going to work. Yeah. And we definitely don't know how it's going to play out. Um, Mm -hmm. another insight I thought was super useful was, uh, the whole idea that a verticalization as he called it, but it's the idea that, uh, all of these user interfaces and experiences and bank-like services, almost like FinTech would be built on top of the existing DeFi protocols that we have. And we haven't even flexed that muscle yet, but it sounds like Vance is looking at teams that are about to execute on that, right? Like who can come up with a, an awesome front end for Mm -hmm. loans on maker and Ave and do something really cool that the traditional banking system, like you can't do in the traditional banking system. And that pairs Mm -hmm. well with rollups and maybe like developing countries uh, and all of these new verticals that we haven't yet explored. Um, that was a really cool articulation. I hadn't thought about that. One of the the through lines of this podcast is, A, we asked fans a little bit about everything. It kind of was a grab bag. It's like DAOs, uh, NFTs, roll-ups, uh, you know, ETH, institutions. Um, one of the, and the other kind of takeaway that I got after a two hour long conversation with Vance is that one of the things that he is, you know, fundamentally bullish about although he didn't articulate it. And so I'm thinking I can articulate this for him is that the current state of Ethereum and DeFi right now is an insane amount of surface area that has gotten unlocked for people to build businesses upon, right? Like all these protocols are just protocols. There should be a number, a large number of businesses being built on top of each individual protocol at the very least, right? And so if we have, you know, 20 viable DeFi protocols right now, Maker, Aave, Compound, Yoon, Sushi, you know, pool together or whatever. Uh, there should be at least an order of magnitude of more centralized businesses building out services and front ends to, yes. to democratize and make better access and compete in making those things accessible towards the rest of the world. I think that's where Vance is, Vance is focused on right now. Absolutely. 
And it's also very bullish, I think, the protocols that are doing that really well. Mm-hmm. Like, um, just my impression is like Ave, right? So Aave. I don't know about comp, right? But like compound, but seems to be moving it, real slow. It had been compound and Ave kind of head to head, and who's going to win? Right. But Ave has been innovating around, I think, that verticalization layer, that fintech mm-hmm. layer, a mm-hmm. bit faster. Yep. We talked about um, permissioned pools, and uh, I recall seeing something from the the lead YFI developer, Banteg, I think, mm-hmm. um, calling out the permissioned pools in Ave, like getting pretty upset. Like this is not why. I mean, we're here to go bankless and you're doing a AML KYC pool. Right. What's your take on that? Is it, here, here's the take that Bantag is coming from. It's basically like, we're here to go bankless purely, right? And like, Ave, are you going to become a crypto bank? Right. Right. It's kind of the take, right? right? So like- but you're just built as a protocol, but you're still a crypto bank. Whereas Coinbase is a crypto bank, just not built as a protocol. Same, same. And they're all evolving into the same thing, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your take there? My take is that if it's viable to be built, it will be built. There are like one of the cool thing about Ethereum is you, you can build whatever you want. And so if you want to build a permissioned crypto bank as a protocol on Ethereum, you can. If the market wants it, it'll work. And the market kind of wants a lot, right? Uh, and so sure, there are going to be probably gated apps uh, on Ethereum uh, by the nature of just like, just you can whitelist, you can whitelist stuff. And that allows for KYC surface area to, to happen. Um, I think the if if the imagine the worst case scenario. I don't think the worst case scenario is all that bad. And Vance called this like KYC light, right? It was yeah. KYC light Ave. Maybe it moves the Overton window of regulation and compliance in our favor, where we're like, okay, fine, we'll give you our ID, but you won't give us any creditor invest like accredited investor laws, and you yeah. won't like do all these other things. Maybe we can start to like. We kind of self-regulated. We did our job. You stop pushing so hard though, because we did it and it's okay. Maybe we move the Overton window of regulation and KYC and all that stuff in our favor. Yeah. I like, I agree with that. I also think that it's like, um, protect the base layers at all costs. That's what we have to Mm -hmm. do, right? Like AML KYC on base layer Ethereum doesn't fly. No, no good. Governance on Ethereum. Can't no. do that. Like, nope. no, no. Nope. Uh, Ave, if there was KYC in the code, the Ave smart contract code, mm-hmm. um, not good. Not a great protocol. And yeah. I would say like the not, KYC- Not without less, an option to do something else. Yes. That's the thing. It's like, as long as Ave in the code has like liquidity pools that are permissioned, but also is not KYCing as part of the mm-hmm. protocol, like- Right. That's fine to me. Like, let's mm-hmm. let both experiments play out and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. the the lower you get into the the base protocols, um, like the more unacceptable centralization is. It's basically mm-hmm. how how I think. But like, I'm totally comfortable with the spectrum of of services. Right. Right. Like BlockFi and Bitcoin. Cool, mm-hmm. man. Go for it. Let's just get all of the institutions in their highly regulated world right next door to all the retail apes. And eventually like our worlds are going to merge and like we can stop being so apey and the institutions can stop being so institutionally. And then we can just kind of, you know, as long as they don't can- capture can- cancel us. out some of our extremes. As long as they don't capture us, as long as they right. don't like own all of the validators and have the ability right. to shut them down. Right. Bad, mm-hmm. bad news then. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, <laughs> 
Enterprise, I did not expect Enterprise Blockchain to right. come up. Right. What was your take? Uh, I mean, he, he named the right name. Pa- Paul Brody, as far as I'm concerned, is Enterprise B- Blockchain, uh, as, it, as, it, as it comes, as it's known. Uh, Paul Brody, he works at EY. He's leading up the EY you know, uh, Enterprise Blockchain uh, uh, endeavor. He's basically a one-of-a-kind guy. Uh, and He understands going, this. He understands it. He's, he's, uh, and he's to... He could. He doesn't have to do what he's doing, from what I from what I hear. But he he is part of EY because he wants to promote Ethereum, uh, and so uh, maybe I'm naive and I'm the enterprise blockchain isn't really my my cup of tea. But for, as far as I can tell, Paul Brody is the guy that is making enterprise Ethereum blockchain stuff happen, uh, and there's a reason why it's a thing. Is because like the, the smart smart contracts are are dope. It's like everyone else is signing contracts. Why not sign smart contracts? Uh, and so I, I'm not too deep into this world, but it's very much a thing and people are spearheading it uh, regardless. Uh, and so if Vance has his eyes on it, it's definitely something to pay attention to. Yeah, I agree. And I think rollups are a huge enabler of it. I still wonder mm-hmm. if the financial use cases are definitely going to be like are going to be first rather than like the other use cases like interoperability mm-hmm. or enterprise resource planning, ERP systems, that sort of but thing. But we've had the financial use cases. We've had DeFi for almost three years now. Yeah. Like maybe it's time. Like maybe it's this time. is a this was a podcast of, of about DeFi maturing and what does that mean other than institutions coming in and doing institution stuff? To be honest, I would have kind of ignored it um entirely. Yeah. Uh but Vance brought it up. So now I'm gonna go investigate. <laughs> 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 you might be right about that. Um also, like I think similar sentiments on ETH becoming more institutionally understood, DeFi mm-hmm. being uh, able to be understood by traditional investors faster than something like Bitcoin. You don't have to have the awkward like uh, anarchist conversation with them, crypto anarchist type right. conversation with them for them mm-hmm. to understand it. So similar sentiments, I think there. Also, like what one thing impressed on me again is how early we are. Um, it, it's still, every time it, it only feels like we're getting earlier and earlier, we're like getting earlier? we're actually getting we're later and Benjamin, later in time, Benjamin but it button feels like we're getting earlier and earlier because we are continuing to unlock so much more design space. Are we getting to younger too? Built. God, I hope so. I mean, you're looking I, younger. I'm, I'm oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> it's cause I shaved. Um, I mean, Vitalik has his way. He solves, uh, you know, immortality. Uh, and maybe that's what he does with his billions of dollars is he solves immortality. And, you know, if you play your cards right, maybe you, maybe you can be one of the first people that can afford uh, immortality. Oh my God. Uh, I don't know if I want that, but that's, that's another do we, podcast. Do we need to do an immortality episode? <laughs> I have some quibbles with it. Like, I don't know if it's necessarily good for the protocol, right? Like shouldn't generations have a cleansing, like not a cleansing process, <laughs> wrong word, but like, um churn you're missing churn is churn reset right? right every every generation has some deeply embedded values and like look at elite baby boomers i mean they control the structure imagine if they live forever david <laughs> yeah anyway yeah, that's true we're not doing the immortality <laughs> episode right now not with that metallic what yeah. else you got man are you about that life david hoffman that okay i think that was a great way to sign off on this because yeah to me being about that life uh Van- vance was like Dude, like being your own bank, that's really scary. Like I have all of my money Thank like you. right here. Like don't, what the don't fuck? Do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Only on the debrief. What, what's wrong with that? Are we cutting this out? I don't know. <laughs> it's up to you. All right, we're cutting it out. Well, I already said we're cutting it out. Cutting out. <laughs>
Like I have, I have all my money on a ledger, right? Like, fuck. Like I, I don't understand how completely to like grapple with like those risks. Right. You know, got private keys written on a piece of paper somewhere, not inside my house. Uh, that's a good alpha for, for, for bankless listeners. Like don't keep your private keys in the same place that you live. Um, but still like these things you have to tussle with as an individual controlling your own money inside of, inside of a private key. It's the most empowering thing in the world. Scary. Scary, scarily empowering, right? And we are we are on the frontier. We say this every single time. We don't know what happens next. But like, I think there's a a, a missing amount of personal self responsibility in the world, uh, and like having your money at your fingertips with all of these like DeFi tools as like your superpowers that you have access to at the click of a button. It really it's it's humbling and sobering, and really kind of like it kind of changes who you are as a person if like you you are your money not like this third party custodian like you are much more responsible you have to be much more responsible like you can't drive fast because if you crash then no one can get your money uh because because you you know no one knows where your private keys are like it changes who you are in the in the extra world at least that's what i've experienced did you ever play um diablo 2 david oh i I, I didn't copious numbers of hours did you ever play diablo 2 on hardcore mode Oh yeah, basically oh, okay. Preferable. So, it's preferable right, that so way. So if you're not a gamer, Diablo is a RPG, right? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, you level up, and it takes hours to level up, like grinding, yeah. like just hours, right? And so yeah, weeks. Yeah, a level weeks sixty barbarian or right. whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, like many hours went into that. A month, hundreds mm-hmm. of hours potentially, right? So um, you could play that, but like when you die in regular Diablo, you just reset, you respawn. On right. hardcore mode, mm-hmm. if you die. That's it. Even you're dead. That's it. You got to start that's from the, zero. That's the game. That's the your game. level fifty four barbarian mm-hmm. necromancer has mm-hmm. just been eliminated. Like, mm-hmm. and it can happen really quick. It can happen because mom picks up, like, mm-hmm. the phone and disconnects your, you know, internet. Back in the day, I was like, yeah, I, I played Diablo too, but I didn't have those problems. Okay, well, <laughs> there's I, the age difference between us. <laughs> there you go. It's coming out right. So like, but like. That's kind of what right. it teaches. Hardcore you mode, play yeah. differently. On mm-hmm. hardcore mode, you play differently right. than regular. Right. You don't take the risks. Right. Like you play differently. So mm-hmm. you, you put one play, toe in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You kind of play finance a little bit differently. It teaches you right. life lessons. Kind of cool. Self-sovereignty mm-hmm. is really cool. It's very freeing. But it's also not for everyone. We literally right. end the podcast with that every right. single time. It's not for everyone. And, and maybe there's something there to talk about as to like why a financial world be built on DeFi will be better if literally it's hardcore mode. If you can't fuck up, like maybe we actually do build a better financial system because the risks are so incredibly great if we mess it up. Uh, and, and, and maybe because we have like- um, No bailouts. No, no bailouts, right? Like maybe because like in the legacy world with 2008, like bailouts, like rewind the ledgers, let's undo this, like- not having that option, maybe because we actually are forcing everyone to live in hardcore hardcore mode, things actually become more robust. I think so. I mean, I think that like, so look, man, I think crypto is largely a response as a social movement to 20, uh, 2008. Mm-hmm. It's like basically like, oh, you bailed out the banks? Okay, right. screw you. We're going to build a right. new banking system that's not dependent on the banks. Right. That's why I'm here, man. Yep. It's like... Um, People shouldn't have that ability mm-hmm. to just like reset the ledger, reorder transactions ledgers. in order to capture value for themselves. Shouldn't have that ability in their favor. Mm. I see crypto as largely a response to that. 
And so, yeah, I think it is probably a good thing that we don't bake in like 12 people in Washington who have the power to like issue currency and reset the ledgers Mm -hmm. and front run orders and all of these things. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't bake that into the the base layer. That's probably a a good thing. Although our episode on legitimacy, it's social layers all the way down. Right. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I think with crypto, the it goes all the way down more. With with the current systems, it doesn't go all the way down. No, it doesn't. It, totally it stops doesn't. pretty fast. Well, like I guess to reset the ledgers, you kind of need a revolution, don't you? Like, yeah. <laughs> which is, uh, you know, civil wars aren't fun. Revolutions aren't fun. So yeah, like l- well, let's build a new system the, and go to that. There's a conversation our- to be had about like debt jubilees, uh, and Nick Carter I know is thinking that like I don't know how we like get out of this. This being just like the massive amount of like assets on the Fed balance sheet and overall David millennials are screwed. Mm-hmm. Like millennials and Gen Z screwed. Dude, I don't know how debt, debt jubilees are part of human history. Like debt jubilees go back before we even had like ledgers. Uh, so I'm a big fan of debt Jubilee 2021 or 2020s. I did, but like, here's the thing. I don't think it's sunk into the younger generations, how literally screwed they are. Right. right? It's not like yep. I'm angry because I'm my thirties. So I can't buy a house. Right. Like mm-hmm. I get that. You should be angry about that, right. but it goes way deeper than that. Right. Have you seen mm-hmm. the fed balance sheet? Right. Have you seen all of the like mm-hmm. debt that's being racked up mm-hmm. that like older generations won't be paying for it. They'll be gone. Right. Who's going to be saddled mm-hmm. with that? You. And how do you pay for that issuance of the currency? Right. So basically, the currency, right? yeah, basically U.S. loses its reserve currency superpower. Mm-hmm. Like, and and every every single young person loses their ability to accumulate wealth because, because the salaries are getting devalued and salaries have never kept up with inflation. And inflation hasn't even kept up with actual inflation. Except crypto, man. Except crypto. Yeah. That's why we're here. Guys, this was a this was a different debrief than, <laughs> than usual. This is the grab bag debrief. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanks for being a subscriber. Thanks for hanging with us. Um, that was fun. We'll uh, we'll see you next time. Watch the panel. <laughs>